It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. Welcome back in. Hour number two of the program here on Wednesday. Another reminder that New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell will not be joining us in the next hour because he is traveling, but he'll be back with us next week, which means I have plenty of time for you at 508-996-0500 or on App Chat on the WBSM app. We've been talking about the announcement that Councilor-at-Large Shane Burgo made last night on South Coast Tonight that he is proposing a ballot question, a non-binding ballot question for this November, asking the city residents if they would support rent stabilization. And I will keep hammering home, rent stabilization is different than rent control. Rent control would cap the amount of dollars they could charge for a dwelling for rent. So you would not, you know, say the... The limit was a thousand bucks for the particular type of dwelling. That's it. You wouldn't be able to charge more than a thousand dollars. You could certainly charge less if you wanted to, but you couldn't charge more than a thousand dollars until those rent caps were reviewed again at some point. What the what the Councillor Large Burgo was proposing would be rent stabilization, which would allow for a cap on the percentage of lease year to lease year increase. So if you're paying $1,000 this year and your lease is up on April 1st and say the cap is 30%, which was the number he kept putting out there, which I think I think people would look at that number and say, that's a fair number. And I'm just, I know he's not locked into that number as the proposed rate, but, you know, if you say it was 30%, I think people could look at that and, and, and feel that that is a fair number. But so let's just say it is thirty percent. You're paying a thousand bucks. That means your rent will go up to thirteen hundred, and then the year after that, if it remained at thirty percent, you'd be just under seventeen hundred. So instead of getting whacked with an increase from one thousand to seventeen hundred in the course of a year, which I think only has to be within ninety, I think they only need to give you a ninety day notice of an increase in rent. So imagine being told that in ninety days your rent is going up seven hundred dollars a month. That would be hard for I think a lot of people to be able to keep up with. But if you had noticed, say, that in two years it was going to be $1,700 a month, well, that gives you time to, to, to take a look at your budget, to maybe cut some fat, to maybe look at it and say, okay, well, if I do this and this, and maybe if I combine this and this, and maybe if I get rid of this and do this and do that and do this, and it gives you better time to prepare for that. So I think that that is a good proposal whether or not the city gets behind it, we'll find out in November because it does look like uh, Councillor Burgo will have the support of the other members of the council uh, in tomorrow night's meeting to be able to get that on the ballot in November, provided the city solicitor's office approves it to go on the ballot. Then all they're doing there is taking the temperature of the residents. What do they think about it? And if it comes back, no, we would be against this. There'll be a different avenue they'll have to pursue to help people remain in their homes. But if the city residents come back and say, yes, we would be in favor of this ordinance, 
Then the work begins on trying to actually make it happen, which means, first of all, they've got to have the discussions with all of the interested, you know, all the parties that are involved in this to figure out what is the best way to go forward with it. What is the kind of rate we would be looking to cap it at? And then they have to get a home rule petition. So the council would have to approve whatever it is that they wanted to do. The mayor could then sign it or veto it. The uh, Councilor Burgo did say that he feels he has the supermajority needed to override the mayor's veto. We don't know how the mayor feels about it right now. He hasn't been able to comment on it. Uh, he did tell WBSM that, uh, well, through a spokesperson, he told he told Marcus that um, he would have to sit down with Councilor Burgo and find out exactly what this plan is before you know he could comment on it. But the mayor, if he does veto it, Councilor Burgo says he has the supermajority votes he believes to be able to still push it forward, which means it's, you know, it has to become a home rule petition, which means that the legislation, the state delegation has to get behind it. They have to push for it and then they have to make it happen on the state legislature level. And then once they approve it, the governor has to sign it because there is a, uh, Marcus said a 1994 ballot referendum that made it so that it is illegal to have any kind of rent control in Massachusetts. So this would need to be a home rule petition to supersede that. Also, Marcus pointed out uh, that there was, let me just get this here, going back to Catherine's statement about an ordinance that would require landlords to live in the city. Uh, he says, and then this is him as a lawyer speaking, freedom of movement is a constitutional right established by decades of Supreme Court jurisprudence. So you can't, he says, you can't restrict property ownership to people who reside in the municipality. And I, f- I feel like that would be a hard thing to get anybody to sign up on either. Because we're not talking about, you know, just saying, oh, well, you can't live in Colorado and own own property in New Bedford. That means you can't buy an, a, a, a three-family in, in New Bedford, live in it for a few years, then go buy yourself a home in Dartmouth two streets away and continue to own that property. So that's, you know, I, I see that as being something that would not be something that people would get behind. I mean, I understand where she's coming from with the idea. I just don't think that it would be fathomable. Also, um, we got an app chat message. Let me go back to that. Uh, this comes from Always Watching in New Bedford. Who says, oh, it's loading up. Perhaps follow Barnstable's lead, use COVID funds to build affordable housing. We could even go further using uh, Greater New Bedford Vote Kids for experience, you know, carpenters, plumbing, electrical, et cetera. It could work. And actually, in some of the disbursement of the ARPA funds, when those stories were coming in um, on a regular basis as they were deciding how to, how to utilize those, uh, they put $11.2 million, the city did, of federal COVID relief funding to go toward new housing development that will see nearly 150 new units added to the city, including three that will be on Union Street. This comes from Kate's article from uh, last June. But this, as part of this process, as part of building these these units, the projects, in order for the projects to be eligible to receive some of that ARPA funding, it must include units for people with household incomes at or below the area's median income. So there would be a an affordable housing um, component to that. Now, the there's a difference between income-restricted housing and 
subsidized housing. And I actually got into this argument with somebody yesterday. Well, not an argument. I just had to make some comments to kind of set the record straight yesterday because I wrote an article, which is at WBSM.com and on the app. It, you know, uh, Edaville, we've been talking a lot about Edaville's plans for the future. And one of those plans is to add housing onto the property, which would include 40B housing. And the, the person who made the comment was like, well, he's just trying to, you know, clear the way to build government subsidized housing. And 40B is not government subsidized housing. The government does not, you know, if you, you'll have some market rate housing on, on the property and then you'll have some 40B housing, which just means that it, you, you have to look at the median income of the area and charge the rent based on that. It doesn't mean that the government gives you the difference between what that number is and what you're charging for those other rental units. It just means that that's the rental price of those units. As long as the people that live in them remain making under the income ceiling for that unit, that's what the income is. Uh, that's what the, the, the rent is. Anyway, 508-996-0500. You are next on WBSM. Yeah, I uh, applaud Shane Ergo for putting this proposal forward, but <clears throat> I think it's just a, a, it's it's never going to pass the legislate, uh, legislator if it gets that far. I mean, I applaud him for doing it, but once it gets up there, who do you think is buying all the property down here now that the MBTA is going through? I mean, the proponents against the MBTA were saying exactly this. This is what's going to happen. It's going to completely push out the longtime residents, and it's happening now. And you know a lot of those real estate giants up in Boston are funding the, uh, the people in the, in the legislature. So they're just going to, you know, do their donations to them. There's no way it's going to pass there because now they see down here cheap real estate relative to the area in Boston. And even these expensive rental prices down here compared to up around Boston is a massive bargain. So we're unfortunately going to be on a long dark road, I feel. Well, it'll be interesting to watch because Boston is going through the same process themselves right now uh, with with Mayor Wu's proposal to have rent stabilization in the city. And now that's in the hands of the Boston City Council, which doesn't seem to be nearly as favorable toward it as the New Bedford City Council does. But if you've got the you know the leading city in the in the state capital involved in that process, I think it might make it so that it might be something that is a little bit more tenable for the legislature to to consider. Yeah, I don't know. I just you know I I that's why I was against that MBTA coming down here because I could see it coming you know and then there was really no incentive for the uh, big Boston area real estate firms to come down here because it didn't benefit people around there to drive up to Boston. But now when you make it easy for them, they're going to saturate down here. It's only a matter of time. That's certainly something to keep in mind. Thank you for the call. Have a good day. And if you want to call in and chime in, 508-996-0500. Yeah, I mean, so I do think that the idea of the of the train coming in and, and, and changing the landscape of New Bedford's rental prices is predicated on the idea that people that work in Boston are going to want to come down here and take a 90-minute train ride twice a day. What, just to have a slightly cheaper rent? So if if the rent suddenly becomes 2500 here as opposed to, you know, 3000 in Boston, I, I don't even know. I can't, can't give you the, you know, a 
a good apples to apples comparison. But are they going to look at that and say, yeah, it's it's worth having to be on a train for three hours a day, maybe longer, in order to, to, to save that kind of money? And also, by the way, to be 90 minutes away from anything that you want to do in the city, from living that city life, I don't, I don't know that it'll be that much of an alteration. I think the rent prices are the rent prices because we're seeing rents go up everywhere. So even places where there is no train, you're seeing kind of a similar increase in rents. I mean, I, so I have, uh, you know, Facebook marketplace open every day because, you know, it's something that I will pluck through for interesting story ideas. And also, you know, I'm a bargain hunter. There's things that I'm looking for and I'm always going to be looking on Facebook marketplace to see what's going on there. And I see some of these rentals that people are putting out there. I'm in some rental Facebook groups just because I like to keep an eye on it and because it's, you know, you never know when you're going to find something that makes for a worthwhile story and things of that nature. So I see some of these posts that are up there and I see some of the rents that people are charging. And for every person that complains and says, I can't believe you're charging that much for this home. This is ridiculous. This is why people can't find a place to live. You're making it so that people are going to be homeless for every single one of those comments. There's probably four or five comments from people that are interested in renting the property at that price. So these rental prices that you're seeing are because people are paying them. Ask landlords when they raise the rent from $800 to $1,800. Ask them how long those units are sitting there empty. If they were, they wouldn't be raising the rents to that price. If they raise it to that price and nobody could afford to live there, then they would say, well, I guess I have to lower the rent. But they're able to raise it because there are people that want those units at those prices. Now, that causes all kinds of issues anyway, because now who's going to get that property? I could I could go there and I could pay that $1,800 and I know I could make it. I know I could pay it based on what I have to pay. But then they would look at my salary and say, well, do you make three times that amount? And also, what's your credit? So just because I know I can make $1,800 work for me, they're going to pick somebody else because that person has a higher credit score and makes more money than I do. And that's not really fair when I can still pay that rent. The first thing I pay every month is my rent. I actually Venmoed my landlord like two minutes after midnight. I know I could have paid it on the day before, but for consistency's sake, I like to do it on the first. But like that's the first thing I do every month before I spend any other money. Because I've been homeless. I've been without a place to live. And I don't want to do that again. So I make sure that that's the first thing that I do. So yeah, I could probably pay the rent just as much as a person who has a higher credit score than me and makes more money than me. But the landlord's not going to pick me. Anyway, 508-996-0500. I got to take a break. When we come back on the other side, more with you. Again, remember, you can call in. You can use the app chat on the WBSM app, however it works for you. I know a lot of you have a lot to say about this issue. 
but I just, you know, I want to know, I want you to know that I'm looking at this from the perspective, I think it's a good idea. I think proposing rent stabilization and seeing if you can make it work, seeing if you can make it, first of all, be passed as a home rule petition, I think it's worth the effort. And I think it, it should be something viable. There are things in this that I'm not considering or that I'm unaware of. Bring it up. Call up. Let me know about it. Because I think ultimately, even the people that are against it, people who are against doing this, will have solid reasons why they don't want it to happen. It's not going to just be an arbitrary thing where it's like, no, why go get a job and go get a better job if you want more money. Go get a better job if you can't afford a place to live. I think that, that those voices will be few and far between. I think people are going to look at this issue logically. They're going to look at this issue and understand where the problems are for each side and then make their decision based on how they feel about which, which outweighs the other. Because people are looking at this as a major issue affecting not only New Bedford, but the South Coast as a whole, Massachusetts as a whole going forward. And, uh, and I think that we need, we need to talk it out, certainly. So 508-996-0500, we'll be right back. Wake up each day with them. stabilization can we get ticket stabilization too so we can go see bruce Springsteen without having to pay five thousand dollars that's like more money than we pay for rent right ah that's a whole different topic for a whole different time but we are talking about this proposal for rent stabilization in new bedford it is a council at large shane burgos proposal to put this on the question on the ballot this fall is a non-binding ballot question just to take the temperature of how the city feels about this. If the voters come back in favor of it, it's going to take a home rule petition to get it put into effect to make this ordinance happen. So then what would happen is the city council would have to you know, draft what it is that they want to do. They would have to pass it. The mayor would have to sign it. It would then have to move on to the state legislature. They would have to approve it. The governor would then have to sign it. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on to make this happen before we can even discuss it as a reality. But the question is designed just to see what the people of New Bedford want. If they come back and say, no, we don't want this, then they'll look at some other options of how to help people stay in their homes. But if the people do want it, then the, 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 the battle will begin to try to make it happen. So again, as I was saying before, if 
they do, if the voters do want it, the city council does craft it the way that they want to try to put it through. The mayor then has to sign it. If he doesn't sign it, if he decides that, you know, I don't, I don't like this, veto, Councillor Burgo feels like they have enough votes, the supermajority in the council, to be able to override that veto. So then they would be able to send it to the legislature without the mayor's signature. And then if the legislature passes it and the governor signs it, then it can go into effect. So right now, all we need is just to get it on the ballot to see how the voters feel. Again, non-binding, just because the, the, the voters might come back overwhelmingly in support of it. It might be 99% of voters saying, yes, we want rent stabilization in New Bedford. Uh, it still doesn't mean that it will definitely happen. It is a non-binding question because there's a lot of things that could, I guess, for lack of a better term, go wrong in the process or impede in the process. So you can read all about it in Marcus's article at WBSM.com and on the app. And he also explains the whole process there more in depth. You can also listen to Councillor Burgo's appearance with him last night where they talked about it and the reasons for it. And I'm interested in getting your take. So you can call in 508-996-0500 or you can send us an app chat message on the WBSM app, which I'm getting a bunch of messages. Uh, Mr. M in New Bedford says, Tim, as far as housing in the city, you drive around a city, you're going to see multiple, multiple houses boarded up, four families, five families, three families. The city needs to get in contact with their owners of these houses and have have them get them up and running for housing. If they don't want to do it, the city can buy it dirt cheap off them and fix it up, then rent it if it doesn't. Well, that's actually part of what some of the um, the COVID money was going toward, was uh, property owners that had properties that needed this kind of work, they would be able to apply. You know, and there was obviously with all the COVID money, there was matching numbers that had to be put up and all kinds of factors involved in it, but they did have some money set aside for those types of buildings, for buildings that, you know, need rehab in order to, to make them livable dwellings. And this was making some of that money available to help them with that. And it is something that, you know, I'm sure Josh Amaral's office will be looking at. Uh, they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of effort shown in the next couple of years that when there is uninhabitable property in the city of New Bedford, to make something happen with that because as the mayor always says if it's one thing the city doesn't have it's any more land so they have to find ways to take advantage of the buildings that they have and that's why they're trying to build new schools you know they announced that they're going to be building the north end school well then the the, the sites where these former schools are be are could become housing the city's buying the armory from the state that can become housing you know these are they're trying to find ways to be able to allow people to live, not only the people who are already in the city that need a place to live, but also to allow for growth so that when people do come in, maybe the train does bring some people in. I don't think it's going to bring in nearly as many as people are afraid it will. But when the train does bring people in or when new industry comes in and b brings people in, there'll be a place for them to live. And so I think you're going to see more effort on that in the next couple of years. Councilor Burgo talked about that last night, and he also talked about some restrictions on being able to create what, what are called accessory dwellings, which is something that I think if they can loosen that up, you might see that make a lot of change in the city. So let's just say you are one of these elderly people who live on a fixed income and you can't keep up with the, the, the raise in the property taxes. Yes, the rate stay the same or went lower, but the evaluation went up. And so now it's more than you can handle. 
and you say to yourself, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn my basement into an apartment. I'm going to live there. And then I want to rent out the rest of the house. Then I have rental income coming in. I still get to keep my home. I still get to pass it on to my children when I pass away. But I'll have money coming in that can help counterbalance some of this this rise in, in, in taxes that I'm paying. Well, there's restrictions on being able to do that now. Or maybe, as, as Councillor Burgo pointed out last night, you you have a health issue and you can't go, or, or maybe it was Marcus, but maybe you can't go on the other floors of your home now and you're limited to just one floor, but you can turn the rest of it into something where somebody else can live. So that's another way of increasing the amount of units. Well, I mean, will it solve the problem? No. Might it create another 100 places for people to live? It could very well. So there's um, just some of the things that they talked about, about what they're trying to do. Uh, Catherine, who uh, called in earlier, she app chatted, I'm pretty sure some cities have residency requirements for landlords. The requirement may be limited to a number of months per year or a number of years. Uh, can WBSM get a thorough search of that question or topic done? Um, I, I, I Listen, I have to side with Marcus on that. It doesn't sound constitutional to me. And so I, I don't know. If somebody knows of a place where that ordinance is in effect, let us know. It doesn't take a, a thorough bit of research. It just takes one place. If somebody can prove that it happens in one municipality in Massachusetts or in the United States, for that matter, then it'll prove that we're incorrect. But I, I it just it sounds wrong to me. Now, not bad in Oak Bluff says... Uh, the time has come for New Bedford to make it easier for a condo conversion of multifamilies. That would provide for home ownership for those wishing to go that route and free up rental units on the opposite end of the spectrum. That's, you know, exactly what they were talking about last night with these accessory dwellings. You know, the same type of idea. Alan Somerset says, Tim, nice, calm, listening day. I believe in rent control. It's getting out of hand. People are paying at least twice my mortgage. It's ridiculous. And I do think, you know, I, again, I don't love the idea of rent control. I don't love the idea of telling somebody you have to cap the rent at this. As a renter, I would love it. As a renter, I would absolutely love knowing that I never have to budget for more than this much money to be able to live in the kind of places that I would live. Obviously, if I'm going to go from a two-bedroom home to an eight-bedroom home, I would expect that the rent would be higher. But for me to say, all I need is a two-bedroom and I'll be fine, and to be able to go to any two-bedroom for the most part and be able to pay around the same price, that would be a dream for me. But I also think that that's unfair to the people who buy those properties because not everybody cares for them the same way. Not everybody treats them the same way. I know that when I moved into the to my longtime home in Wareham, I had lived in a place for four years before that. And the landlord, let's just say he wasn't the best at keeping up with stuff. He would try to do things his own on his own. And I, I only saw the guy once. This, this is a true story. I lived in this house for four years on, in Swiss Beach and Wareham. I saw the guy one time the entire four years that I lived there. And it was when there was a hole in my bathroom floor and he called out from inside the hole in the bathroom for me to come in so he could have me look in the hole and he could show me something. And that was, I didn't even know he was in there. He said, I'm going to be there at, you know, I'm coming by Saturday at 10 a.m. to take a look at that hole. And I was like, okay. And like 10 o'clock I'm dressed and I'm, you know, waiting to see if he shows up or anything. And don't see him, and I'm just sitting in the living room watching TV, and then I hear from the bathroom, Hey, hey, Tim, are you there? It's Rudy, your landlord. And I go and I 
going toward the bathroom. I'm like, Rudy, are you are you under the house? And he's like, yeah, here's what's going on with us. Uh, I'm going to have somebody come down and look at it. Okay. And that was it. I didn't see him when I signed the lease because it was all done through the through the Voss Realty folks down there in Swift Beach. Didn't see him then. Never saw him when I renewed the lease. He lived up in, uh, I don't know, somewhere north of Boston. And then I never saw him when I when I left the house. And he never fixed the hole either. <laughs> he, he said one year finally, he goes, hey, listen, I'm not going to renew your lease. My son is, you know, looking for a place to live. And, uh, and I'm going to let him move in here. So I'm not going to renew your lease. And I was like, well, okay, well, I mean, I've been dealing with a giant hole in the floor for six months. So probably for the best anyway. And then I moved into this this house that I've lived in for a long that I lived in for a long time. On the other side of town with a big yard, pond rights for the beach across the street, quote unquote private neighborhood, which is only just so that people can't come in and use our beaches. All of these different factors. But it's the same house. It's the same two bedroom. It's the same square footage, more or less. It's the same land, except there's more of it cleared without trees on it, so the yard is bigger. And, you know, should those factors be the same? Should the rent be the same in each of those places? When I left, I started renting at six fifty a month in 2001. The first day I was supposed to move in was September 11th. My mom said, please, just stay here for a couple more days. My dad works overnights, and so she was a little bit concerned about, you know, everything that was going on in the world. Just Can you just stay here for another couple of days? So I ended up moving in, I think, the following Sunday. But from 2001 to 2005, my rent went from 650 to 700 And then when I went to go rent the new house, the rent was 950 And the landlord was concerned I wouldn't be able to pay the additional 250 a month. I was like, I can swing it. Don't worry. And then I stayed there for 15, I was there for 15 years before the rent went up. And then it went up 50 bucks to a thousand. So I, I realized I've been very, very fortunate in my rental life. Not everybody has that same thing. But would it be fair to say if you are rent controlling, you know, you're putting that hard cap on what it can be. Is it fair to say that dumpy house that you started off in? should be the same price as that house that this other landlord really cared for and would come and fix anything the minute that you called him. And if he didn't come and fix it, he would say, uh, that's not something I know how to do. Please call this company and they'll come down and take care of it. Never saw a bill, never had to pay. I mean, there was a couple of times when like I might've gotten a screen replaced or I, uh, I had to fix the, the, the door handle or something where I would pay for it and then just take it off the rent. But for the most part, if it was anything that was going to be more than, you know, 50 bucks, the landlord was always like, I'll find a way to, to, to pay for it. Have them call me. I'll give them my credit card over the phone. Don't don't you give them any money. It's not your problem. He was concerned when it came time to replace the thermostats and upgrade them with, you know, better quality digital thermostats. He said, I, I'll go to the store and I'll buy them. And I said, Bob, they're, they're $25. I'll, I, can, I can swing it. And I'll just take it off the rent and send you the receipt. You don't. You don't have to drive all the way here from the Cape. 
but that's just the kind of guy he was. You know, he was the, he was the kind of landlord that you want. So this that that's my my point is that you know you, there's not an apples and apples comparison, which is why I like the ability to be able to raise it based on a percentage. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. I have to take a break. You can call in. You can app chat in. You can join in the discussion. I want to hear what you think. Would you be in proposed uh, in favor of this proposal, not for rent control, not for putting a hard limit on what can be charged for rent, but instead putting a percentage cap to say you can only go up this much percentage from one year to another, from one rental year to another? 508-996-0500. We'll be back in a few moments. The local talk doesn't... or hit us up on app chat on the WBSM app. Uh, This comes in from TF Thumbs in New Bedford. Here is the problem with rentals. Landlords who are buying these properties at an extremely inflated prices with interest rates uh, that are extremely low, the value of the property is inflated to over 10% or more, so the $120,000 home is now worth perhaps as much as $250,000 or more. Now, add to the property tax increase, which is based on what properties are or have sold for the valuation. This is a way for the city to increase the tax revenue and the and override prop two, proposition two and a half. It goes like this. The value goes up. Uh, this is kind of long, and I'm sorry. I don't mean to disparage your app chat message, but this is just a little bit too much um, for me to read all of, all of these facts and figures. You're going to lose people here. Uh, but... Just the point is, combined with all the increases in things like water and sewer and other city fees, uh, the the problem is, and this person says they've been on both sides of the fence as a landlord and now as a renter. Landlords want first, last, and security that is easily over $4,000. Really, ask anyone on this program if they have $4,000 in their mattress. The answer is no one. Survey that for me. I'm listening. And I think that that's something that we've talked about quite a bit is that the the costs associated with moving, not just being able to scrape together the first, last, security, all of that. On top of that, the requirements, the income requirements that landlords are looking for, which I understand why they ask for it. It's to protect them and to make sure they're not letting somebody move into their home that's not going to be able to live up to the the agreement of the lease. But they want you to make three times the rental income. Well, hey, listen, I'm the kind of person where if I only make $2,000 a month and my rent is $1,800, you better believe I'm finding a way to live on 200 bucks for 30 days. And yeah, you need to have proof of that, but my credit rating isn't necessarily the best way to judge whether or not I pay my rent since a majority, most, almost all, it's changing now with some of these programs are putting into place, But most renters don't get any credit history credit for paying their rent on time. Maybe they're not paying their credit card payment or other credit reporting factors on time because they're making sure that their rent is paid. You know, as far as I'm concerned, 
there's only one thing that should come, two things that should come into play when you are renting to somebody. And you can call in and tell me if I'm wrong. Do they make enough income to cover the rent? Not three times, not four times. Do they make, think about it reasonably. Will they be able to pay the rent? And what is their rental history? Talk to their previous landlord. Did they pay the rent? Did they pay on time? Did they make you chase them? Do they have evictions? If they do have evictions, I'm not automatically going to discount somebody for it. What was the reason for the eviction? If the eviction is that they weren't paying, that's different than the eviction is I you know, decided not to renew their lease because I wanted to bring in my grandmother to live there instead. Or I threw them out because my grandmother lived there. If, if you're a tenant at will, that can happen. It's one of the reasons I was homeless. So those, those factors, I think, matter more. And also, if you do pay a security deposit as a renter, remember, if you didn't give the landlord a reason to need to use that money to fix anything you might have caused, that money should have gone into escrow and comes back to you with any interest earned. That's something that a lot of renters forget about. They forget that they paid security, but if you have that in place and you need to move to somewhere else, as long as you've kept up your end of the bargain and kept the place the way that it's supposed to be, that should be money that is available for you. Anyway, 508-996-0500. going to have to take my final break, but before I do that, one place where you don't have to worry at all about whether or not you spend too much money is Barrels and Boards Marketplace. Why? Because everything that you're getting in there is top quality for decent prices. I say all the time, you can go into the supermarket and you can go buy a steak or some seafood or some chicken breast or whatever. You can also go to Barrels and Boards Marketplace and get a higher quality cut of meat for just about the same price you're paying in, in the supermarket. And not only that, it's the same quality food that they use in the restaurant itself. So you can bring all that home and make it yourself, or you can get some of their prepared meals. If you want to just have something to throw in the oven to feed yourself or feed the family, they have individual and family size available. They have frozen pizzas and all their signature flavors. And they have, of course, those Montelio's desserts in the glass case for you to take home with you as well. Check them out. The Barrels and Boards Marketplace is located right next to the restaurant on Route 138 in Raynham. Easy off 495. It's right there off the highway. It's a short distance from where 140 hits the Taunton Green. It's a nice, easy ride. Probably take you about a half an hour to get there from New Bedford, maybe a little bit less. And it's, uh, it's well worth it. So if you are somebody who appreciates good quality food, check out the Barrels and Boards Marketplace. And you can visit them online, barrelsandboardsma.com. That's barrels, the letter N, boardsma.com. The WBSM app is... And that'll do it for this hour.